Uh, what a, uh, a joy to sing these songs and to be ministered to and to take time out of our busy schedules to reflect upon the true meaning of Christmas. This is incredibly important for believers. So I'm so thankful you're here. I'm thankful that maybe you're tuning in online. We're really grateful that you would take the time to pause and reflect with us. And I want to reflect with you on a traditional Christmas text. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to look at verses 1 through 7 this afternoon. I really love this time of year, and I think every Christian ought to, and I really love Christmas Eve. I love the anticipation that's building towards Christmas Day when we get to focus on the truths that we've just sung about, and we need to really reflect deeply about the truth of the gospel, especially in seasons like this, uh, especially as we think back across 2020. Amen? Uh, What a year. It's one for the books. It's in seasons or years like this that we can actually lose sight of what God has done and therefore what God is doing. Christmas is the time of the year where we do intentionally pause and reflect and we celebrate what God has done for us and what He promises to continue to do. Now, I think we can all agree that this is probably not the Christmas that you were expecting to have, and it's not the Christmas that you wanted to have. It's not the way any of us would have planned it or wanted it. But in many ways, I think it's much like the first Christmas. The, The first Christmas story the event that we celebrate at this time of the year, contrary to many of the, the glorified fairy tale versions maybe you've seen in movies, read in books, or looked at in little nativity scenes, there are many challenges, there are many trials, there are many potential setbacks, and all of that meant that there are many opportunities to trust God. For Mary and Joseph, it had been a tremendously hard year, but it was a year think about this, in which God was actually accomplishing the greatest work in history. As we look at this brief summary of the Christmas story that Luke gives to us, perhaps we can relate and actually find much encouragement for our souls. Let's look at it together. Luke writes these words beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and lied him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. I want to look at this Christmas story in four parts that, again, I I hope maybe you can relate to and actually find great encouragement for your soul. The first thing I want to draw your attention to in this Christmas story is that it's filled with disruptive politics. Already you can relate, I'm sure. The first two verses tell us that there is a political situation that we need to pay attention to. A decree had gone out from Caesar Augustus, and all the world was to be registered. We see that everybody went from their town, and they 
went to the town in which they were born to be registered for this time. It's interesting that this passage actually begins in a kind of a somber kind of a tone. This was a reminder of the condition of the nation of Israel at the time. This was not good times for them. They were actually under Roman rule. They were suffering oppression from a pagan nation. Caesar Augustus was the sole ruler at this time of the Roman world. The Roman ruler was actually thought of as as more than just a, a mere human. In fact, he was given the status of deity. People looked at the Roman ruler, the emperor, and they thought of him more like a god. In fact, there's an an ancient inscription that has been found dating back to this first century, and it reads this. I'll put it on the screen behind me so you can see how crazy this is. Divine Augustus Caesar, son of God, imperator, that means commander or ruler, of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the world. It's ironic, isn't it? Apparently, people have always felt that government can be their savior. And apparently, those in government have always believed it to be true. A census was not a good thing in this context. This wasn't just telling people to get a sense of how big the population was. There were two reasons why the Romans would take a census. The first was because they wanted to draw people into military service. The second was for taxation purposes. And that was the reason why the census was taking place in this moment Because these oppressive Roman rulers wanted to tax the Jews even more than they already were. It was a way of continuing to exercise control and power. So we have here at the beginning of the Christmas story, the first Christmas story, a picture of political and social, but more importantly, spiritual problems. The Roman oppression was emblematic of the spiritual darkness that existed in the nation of Israel, that covered the land. They were in a spiritual exile, and they needed spiritual deliverance. And by the way, it had been like this for a lot longer than a year, so just kind of pause for a moment and and think about this past year. For them, it had been like this for over 60 years. God's people needed rescue. I want you to see the the incredible irony in this story. We have here the picture of the rulers of the world, both spiritual and physical, by the way, who believe that they're the ones in ultimate control. They think they're in charge. They think they rule the world, but they're not, and they don't. God is. The Christmas story reminds us of just that. All of this occurred just as the Scriptures said it would, and Caesar, in this moment, unwittingly played a part in redemptive history. We're tempted to believe that things have never been worse than they are for us now. We're tempted to believe that we're living maybe in the worst times in history. We often find ourselves grumbling and complaining. We get frustrated and angry. And yes, I'm guilty of all those things, and I have been especially during this year. But it's so important that we allow the Christmas season to remind us that God is still sovereign over the universe. God is in control, and God is still at work, even even when it appears like He's not. 
He's even at work in and through these seasons, as we see here in the life of Mary and Joseph. You know, there is such a unique comfort that comes to our souls from understanding the sovereignty of God. When we truly grasp that God is sovereign over everything and that nothing can thwart His plans, no amount of evil, no earthly or spiritual ruler is greater than Him, God is in absolute control. It's this, in this moment, in this season, that should cause us to simply pause, to stop, to stop grumbling, to stop complaining, to stop being so angry and frustrated, to start trusting, to start thanking, and to start rejoicing. As we see next in this story, this truth actually helps us face the challenges of life. Even, secondly, as we note here, in the most difficult predicaments of life. You'll notice in verse 3 and 5 that everybody went up to be registered, everybody to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. You can imagine, with this government overreach, they felt like maybe they were in a challenging situation, a very difficult predicament, Yet everybody went to register, and Joseph does too, and you just need to know that this was something that was absolutely inconvenient. It must have been in this moment actually very frustrating to them, another reminder that they were living under Roman oppression. It was for sure a government overreach, but the government was not forbidding what God commanded or commanding what God forbid, and so they went. They did what they were told. They submitted But just note that this would have been a challenge. It would have been a physical challenge. In fact, I I did a a Google map to kind of figure out the distance here. I've been to Israel, but I wanted to kind of recall the actual distance here. The distance on Google Maps is 156 kilometers from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, 156 kilometers um, doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when you're traveling by foot, in fact, I, I, I hit the little hiker guy on the Google Maps, you know that guy, just to see how long it would take to walk, 33 hours straight hike. That's if you weren't pregnant. Mary is a champ. This, this is one tough woman. She is going by foot, traveling with her husband. This would have taken days, and, and the terrain was up and down, significant points of elevation. This was a challenge. What, what would have made this decision easy? Say easy? You think this was an easy decision for them to make? I do, yes. I actually think this was an incredibly easy decision for them to make. Here's why. Because they trusted, listen, this is so important, they trusted in God's Word. They trusted God's Word. See, what do you mean? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think they knew that their baby was supposed to be born in Bethlehem? It's a fair question, isn't it? I think the answer is yes. I don't know about you, but if an angel showed up to me and said, I was going to give birth, not me, maybe my wife, this is a better illustration, was going to give birth to the Messiah, and I knew my Jewish scriptures, and I knew about this promised Messiah throughout the scriptures, I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have run right back to my scriptures to find out every single thing I could about this Messiah. 
And we knew, we know from Mary's Magnificat that she knew the Scriptures well. She was a faithful Jew. I think she knew what Micah 5.2 said. be on the screen right there. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. You know, knowing God's Word helps us navigate every predicament of life. It doesn't mean that the answer for every one of our situations is always crystal clear, but it means that we have been given everything that is needed. God's Word promises that there we find everything needed for life and godliness. It's found in the true knowledge of Him, of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's Word, the Bible says, is a light unto our path. And when we find ourselves in dark times, all we need to do is run to the light of God's Word because it's there. It's there that we find supernatural strength. It's there that we find divine hope and there that we find true life because there we find truth, the very truth of God. They delighted in obeying God's word. They didn't have all the answers to their situation, but they knew enough of God's word to know that going to Bethlehem was not Caesar's plan, it was God's plan. They knew that God was working all things according to the counsel of his will. And they rejoiced in doing the will of God. 2020 has been filled with many difficult predicaments. We've all felt the effects Maybe it's been a particularly hard year for you. Maybe you've been suffering more than people realize. Maybe there's things that have happened in your life this year that are so traumatic and so devastating, you're simply clinging desperately. Maybe this has been a, a challenging year for you mentally. Maybe it's been a challenging year for you emotionally. Maybe it's been a challenging year for you financially or relationally or spiritually. And you've felt the weight of this season, but before, listen, before we bury 2020 as a bad memory, we should be asking what God is doing in us through this season, through these trials that we're experiencing, maybe at this very moment, or maybe the trials that we're going to experience in this upcoming year. God is truly at work in these seasons. And as much as we don't like them, these are are meant for our refinement. They're actually meant to develop our our character and ground our hope and give us true joy. You see, I think in, in this season, God's been doing some remarkable things in some of our lives. God has been destroying idols in some of our lives. He's been exposing places that that we have put our hope and our satisfaction, things that we have made our functional saviors, and he's absolutely showing us the worthlessness of those things. I think. In this season, I think we can be very, very clear on this, that God is deepening some of our faith, that God is pressing into us, and as He's ripping the idols out of our hands, He's he's calling us to cling tighter to Him, to trust in Him more, to believe more firmly in Him and His Word and His promises. And I know this for a fact, that in this season, listen, in this season, listen, Because of this season, God is drawing many people to himself. 
God is, is pressing into those around us. Many, many, maybe even in this room or many people in your lives are feeling the weight of this season and they're living in fear and anxiety and worry and confusion and they're asking questions maybe for the first time and they're, they're looking at you and they're looking at the hope you have and the faith you have and the confidence you have. And God is using this season to pull people towards himself and to give them saving faith. God's will for you in this season is found in His Word, and I can promise you this, it is God's will for you to find comfort in Him, to find hope in Him, to find joy in Him, and to find peace in Him. God's will for us is to know Him and His saving grace and sustaining power. We shouldn't be looking for a return to normalcy right now, church. We should be longing for glory. We should be longing for more of our Savior. Every difficult predicament points us to find what we can only find in the one who is in control of it all. Third, notice this. We see deliberate poverty. We see a picture here of deliberate, divinely deliberate poverty in verses 6 and 7. It says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We all know the story. We all know the circumstances. One thing is, is clear in this narrative. Mary and Joseph didn't have much. They weren't important people. In fact, they were relatively obscure. In fact, as I mentioned at the beginning, this had been a, probably an incredibly difficult year for them. I imagine they'd experienced a lot of pressure and public scrutiny because of their situation and circumstances. Notice the text here reminds us they're betrothed, not married, and yet here is Mary, obviously very pregnant. The humiliation, the mocking, the laughing, the cruel statements, and people didn't know the truth. They didn't really understand what was going on. They, they simply looked at the situation and, and assumed what we would all assume. They wouldn't have believed it even if Mary told them. Can you imagine the situation? No, I promise you. I promise you. My husband and I, no, that's, that's not a thing yet. An angel of the Lord showed up and miraculously got me pregnant. I'm like, yeah, okay. Good try. Nobody would have believed her. This, this is, in effect, a story of poverty, of, of humility and of humiliation and of condescension. It is meant for us to see, in all aspects, the lowliness of this situation, the humiliation of it all. No room in the inn. Again, a reminder of their circumstances. Forced to give birth, likely in a stable. That's simply the icing on the cake. The lowliness of the birth of Jesus is not accidental. No, this physical reality depicts the spiritual reality. The incarnation, God becoming a man, as Philippians 2 says, is a humble reality. Here we have in this scene the king of the universe, not robed in royal clothes, but wrapped in swaddling cloths. Not seated on a, a throne, but lying in a manger. And yet, we look at what's taking place and we consider the wonder of this moment. God, 
taking on flesh. Jesus veiled his divine glory in order to enter into our human poverty. Poverty? Yes. Yes, because apart from Christ, all of humanity is in spiritual poverty. We are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing that can mend our broken relationship with God. Our sin has fractured that, divine, that relationship, that intimate relationship we were all intended to know and experience, broken it beyond human repair. We have no ability to earn our acceptance with God, to merit His favor. But at Christmas, we see that Jesus embraced human poverty. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for our sake He became poor. Why would He do that? That you by His poverty might become rich. That's what Christmas is really all about. Our poverty is met by God Himself, and so we see finally here at Christmas, and what we celebrate most is divine provision. Divine provision. So why? Why does God do this? Why does God take on flesh? The, the answer is actually spelled out for us at the very end of chapter 1. And I want to point us back there for a brief moment as we close our, our time together. Jesus had a cousin named John the Baptist. John's father was a man named Zechariah. And he was given a prophecy about his own son, John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And in chapter 1, we read the prophecy of Zechariah about his own son, but most importantly, at the end of this prophecy about John the Baptist, we get a very clear prophecy about Jesus Christ. I'll just look at four verses quickly with you. Look at verse 76. And you, child, speaking of John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of, listen to this language, of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His way. You want to know what this, this teaches us? This, this tells us that Christmas is a reminder that God has come the Most High, the Lord has arrived. God has stepped out of heaven and put on flesh and entered into our human poverty in the form of a child. The incarnation is one of the most glorious doctrines in all the Bible. It should cause our hearts to pause and to reflect and to be filled with wonder and awe that God would come from heaven to earth for us. But notice, secondly, what we see in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. You see, God has come to save us from our sins. That's why He took on flesh. That's why He was born in a cradle and He would eventually march to a cross. Because we could not save ourselves, our God condescended. He came down from heaven to earth for us to die in our place, to redeem and to rescue. Where our sin deserved judgment, notice this next in verse 78. Look at what, why God did this. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. You see, God has come to save us from our sins only because of His great mercy. 
He comes to those who are undeserving, and He gives us what we do not deserve. He doesn't give us what we truly deserve. He he doesn't give us wrath and judgment. Instead, He comes out of love and mercy. This is His kindness that leads us to repentance. Here we're reminded of God's great love for us, His people. And we see it come to fruition here in verse 79. Notice this, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, God has come to save us from our sins because of His great mercy to bring us from darkness to light. This is the message of Christmas. Darkness is used metaphorically in the Scriptures to describe our spiritual condition under sin and death. And the Scriptures remind us that Jesus is the light of the world, and He came into the darkness so that He might take us who are under the domain of the kingdom of darkness and bring us into the glorious light of His marvelous Son. God offers to us at Christmas peace with Him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How is that received? The answer is simple. As we give gifts to one another during this Christmas season, all we do to God as He holds out this gift of salvation in Christ Jesus, we reach out our arms by faith and receive what He offers to us. We repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that God in flesh has come to rescue us, dying in our place, paying for our sins, rising from the grave, defeating sin and death. You know, this season, we celebrate this idea of being moved from darkness into the light, all because Jesus Christ is Himself the great light of the world. And uh, tradition holds that these candles, as they're lit here, the final one is called the Christ candle. And I I just want to light it here, and at this time, you can grab your tea lights if you've got those. You can flick those on. Hopefully, uh, you've pulled a little tab out. And if it doesn't work, I apologize. They are from the dollar store. And this doesn't want to light. You see, these little lights that we hold in this candle, the the lights that are shining all around you, this is a, a visible symbolic reminder of the spiritual reality that we celebrate at this season. These lights remind us that Jesus Christ himself is the light of the world, and that light has shone into our darkness. It's a reminder that right now, if we have Christ in us by faith, we too, by extension and by our union with him, are lights to the world around us. We bear this message of light and life to all the world, and this is what Christmas is all about. These lights represent God's divine provision for us. And it's only appropriate that we, as the people of God, respond to His divine provision. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And as we stand, you can hold your lights, and we're going to sing together Silent Night and contemplate the true meaning of Christmas together.